0: Hey everyone, this is Joe from Across the Gun Counter, and before we get into this week's episode, I just wanted to let everyone know we had some serious audio issues with this episode, and the unedited version, the one mic sounds very tinny, the edited version where I actually run it through my normal stuff, it's, you you can't hear anything. So, I chose to go this episode with the unedited throughout the audio enhancer or anything like that. So, and you know, please, you know, bear in mind that's what's kind of going on i thought this was a good episode and i didn't want to lose this content and you know we we wanted to share this discussion with you guys and everyone who listens so please just keep that in mind we had a little bit of issues with it so just uh enjoy the episode Welcome to Across the Gun Counter, guys. I'm your host, Joe Riva, joined by my co-host,
1: Tyler Weaver.
0: And we are here this week to do a topic that... This is going to be kind of a fun topic, I think, Tyler. This is something we... Oh,
1: yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to this one a lot. This is a topic we've kind of discussed in the past, which is FUD lore. And we kind of want to talk about what is FUD lore. And it's... Obviously, you know, something we've talked about, and it's come up in the Arisaka episode, the SKS episode, almost every single episode we've talked about a weird kind of gun rumor. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, it's it's something that's in the industry. You always hear the term FUD lore. And for a lot of new gun owners, you kind of have to explain what is FUD lore. And you kind of have to explain to people, oh, this is FUD lore, and what is a FUD? <laughs> and mm-hmm. and I think everyone kind of has their own interpretation of it, wouldn't you say?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. So let's define it. What would you call Or how would you define FUD lore?
0: So FUD lore to me is something I would kind of call like gun talk rumors or gun shop rumors. And it's kind of comes from what I'd say is like older, older guys, typically like your typical.
1: Yeah. Yeah. FUDs usually like a derogatory term aimed at like uh, the baby boomer generation in the gun industry that are usually on the stubborn side. Don't like uh, change very well.
0: Yep. There's the... (laughs) I would almost say it's almost a slang term. In the, it, it really is. FUD is a slang term yeah. in the gun industry for an older guy or an older person who's just like they like hunting guns. It comes from Elmer FUD, you know, with the old mm-hmm. hunting gun. And that's all they like is you can have your hunting guns and that's about it. Anything above, a you know, three round hunting rifle, Remington 700, uh, you don't need because. <laughs> and so pretty
1: much like Bill Ruger.
0: Yep, pretty much, which, you know, that's (laughs) actually... If you know
1: your history about Ruger, you understand.
0: Yes, exactly, which is... That's something I think we should just do a whole topic on, is Bill Ruger himself, which... Very interesting man, and I respect him, but he was not...
1: Oh, yeah, very, (laughs) very ingenious when it came to firearm design, manufacturing, stuff of that nature, but very... um,
0: Not as pro 2A. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs)
1: exactly. Not as as 2A in a diverse sense.
0: Yes. So, So... We can dive into that a little bit later, but mm-hmm. with, with FUD lore, it's just old gun rumors and stuff that people would kind of say and other people would believe with without reason or fact behind them. There was no actual substantial evidence or, you know, people would believe it. One of the biggest ones I can think of was Arasaka's, uh, you know, being dangerous. We talked a lot about yeah, that I mean, in the that. Yeah, so we talked about, you know, why they're actually very safe firearms and how they're actually extremely strong actions. And after the war, the U.S. Army Department did what they did and showed, hey, they can't blow them up. But for years and still to this day, you hear people saying, oh, that old Japanese rifle, you don't want to shoot that. That's unsafe. Guys were blowing them up after the war. And it's like, ugh, don't believe everything I mean, you hear online.
1: Well, it's one of the things, too, when it comes to or Thunder, store. a lot of these old rumors, and this was. You know, a lot of these were created back before the time of the internet. Mm -hmm. So it was all word of mouth, like, oh, my buddy had one of those rifles and it blew up or something like that. And then that story just gets passed from time to time, you know, every time something happens. And you know how gun guys get talking and you don't have enough of a uh, community to disprove it.
0: Nope, exactly. So, you know, back in the day, you couldn't just pull out your phone and just say, you know, Google,
1: hey, let me check that quick.
0: Exactly. You you couldn't just do that. You actually had to do your research. And a lot of times, a lot of unsubstantial claims just went on by and got passed along and people believed everything. And don't believe everything you hear. It doesn't even just include the Internet nowadays. Just don't believe everything you you hear from people.
1: (laughs) The best resources we have for disproving a lot of these myths is YouTube. I mean, look of how many content creators there are that are trying to find interesting episodes to shoot. And it's like, all right, well, let's see. If this holds true, let's see if, you know, the Arasaka does blow up or how much pressure does it actually take to blow one up? You have a lot of these, what do you call them? Modern day. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I hate that term, but yes. I know me too. But, you know, you have a lot of these influencers that are looking for views. They're looking to have an interesting show and the like the FUD lore topics are great for them to try to disprove.
0: Exactly. So the ability to be able to disprove it on camera nowadays is really cool and disperse it to the world without fail. You know, it's like, hey, we're showing this on camera. This is happening. This is why it's not true. And
1: which you also have to take that with a grain of salt. Like, okay, maybe that's a good one. There might be bad ones out there. But again, it shows in, you know, a live video, not live video, but, you know, it shows in a video that, hey, this myth is disproved.
0: So that's something that's cool, but I think also simultaneously, it also enters us into another dangerous realm, which is something I'd like to dub modern FUD lore. Mm. And what I dub modern FUD lore is basically internet rumors or online stuff that's coming out that's just not true, or it's... I don't want to say half-truths, but basically like almost a half-truth. And they're not telling you. Like people the fu-
1: not, not understanding the full story.
0: Exactly. And it gets people up into a fear, into a panic. And I just, I don't like that. And I don't appreciate that, to be honest with you. Especially coming from the gun industry side. Like it just causes a lot of panic on just from a storefront aspect. I'm going to go, the biggest thing has been recently with the whole brace, the brace stock, NFA disaster that we're uh, dealing with. Yeah, yeah and that whole fiasco yes this whole fiasco and you know we had done our episode a couple weeks ago on the braces stocks and the nfa and our initial purpose of doing that episode was we kind of we didn't want to take a political stance on it we just wanted to say hey these are what's braces these are stocks and these are kind of our thoughts on the two different devices and you know and then unfortunately within that time frame you know that letter was published and we actually had, you know, this thing hit the register and all this stuff was coming out. We heard like, oh, if you don't submit within your tax st- your tax stamp isn't approved within 88 days, you're a felon. Or if you submit uh, an imported rifle or an imported pistol, now you're going to have to destroy it and you're going to be in possession. And it was just all this. It was just all this nonsense and garbage rumors. And I'll tell you, it flooded the shop and I just yeah, didn't appreciate it.
1: I got lucky. I didn't have any like pistols with braces in my shop at that time so it's like woo, that's the bullet on that one i don't have that kind of headache yeah man you guys guys had some on the shelves didn't you
0: yeah we you know and we dealt with that we're still dealing with it and just all this confusion and all this misinformation from all these gun youtubers and these gun experts these people who are supposed to be you know giving proper information to their audiences were giving a lot of false information and that's not right because i think that the government is doing a lot of evil stuff as it is and we you know, we really why are we lying or why are we doing these things to, you know, drum up this fear and all this stuff? It's like, yes, I i don't think what they what they're doing with the braces and anything is right. And I'm not trying to make this a political stance on that. I'm just saying we don't need to lie about stuff to get people on our side. There's they're doing enough stuff that we don't need to lie and make stuff up. And I think there was only one or two YouTubers that I had actually seen do a video about that. And they, they basically said, what I'm saying is, why are we lying and spreading misinformation? Or I don't want to say lying, because that's not right. They're just giving out misinformation or misleading yeah. people yeah, into there, this.
1: there's almost certainly no ill intent.
0: Yeah, it's not... I don't know. Like, and their causes are good, and I understand it. And I appreciate that. And we need to be fighting back and doing everything we can to defend our gun rights. There's Owning a gun is just one part of it. And... I don't know. I just think a lot of this modern FUD lore, it needs to stop is people do your own research, actually look at documents, read actually what's being said.
1: Don't just share articles just because you read the headline.
0: Exactly. Do do some research, help debunk modern FUD lore and put a stop to it before, you know, before it spreads. Because we always make fun of the old FUDs that do the old FUD lore, which is the main topic of this episode that we're going to talk yeah, about. Yeah, now you
1: can just do it a lot quicker to more people.
0: Exactly. So let's, let's all get on the same page. Let's stop, you know, Let's 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 debunk some fud lore and let's get rid of the modern fud lore and this modern day misinformation. Let's even there say it go. from so our side. So what got for
1: today, Joey? Yeah.
0: So the so for the 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 fud lore that really there's there's a lot of it that I hear in the shop. I think my my fud lore aspect comes a little bit different from your fud lore aspect because you're going to be mm-hmm. looking at it. I'm looking at more shop talk here. And yeah, where it, for
1: me it's more of like the the firearm mechanics you know somebody drops a gun off and they're complaining about this or that.
0: Yeah, so you know my first one, Tyler, is, and I've I've heard this all the time, and in particular, I remember with the Mini Fourteen was mm-hmm. the, you know how the old Mini Fourteens you'd have them chambered in two two three Remington. Well, the yes, the, the first yes. the first fuddler I would always hear was you can't shoot a five five six and a two two three Remington, or it'll blow up, mm-hmm. and you're gonna ruin the rifle right then and there. The pressure difference, it's catastrophic. You're done. And I'll be yeah. honest, I believed that for a while. I was one of those who when I was a younger lad, I, I completely believed that FUD lore. Oh, and hey, they make two
1: different rounds for a reason, right? And you're holding them side by side, comparing them like, man, they really don't look that different.
0: Yeah, you know, it's you know, oh man, the so the the old the old rumor in the FUD lore was that if you have a two two three Remington barrel, you can't chamber or use five five six. Or that if you do chamber and use a five five six round in it, it's going Dead. to yeah, it's going to detonate. It's going to damage the rifle immediately. Now, that's kind of a half truth. Why would you say that's a half truth, Tyler? Would you agree that's a, fa- a half truth? Yeah,
1: it's one of those things I would highly advise against it. I mean, let's be honest. What's the difference in the cost of ammunition between 223 and 556? Just buy the right stuff.
0: Yes, it's but cents it's on the one dollar. Of those
1: things the manufacturers of these firearms overbuild them as much as they can, you know, without obviously, you know, making the guns stupid heavy but a lot of them do throw heavy barrels on there for competition and accuracy and whatnot but for the most part the section of the barrel that's right over the chamber is going to be able to withstand a lot more pressure than that cartridge and will generate even if it's on the higher end so like if you're shooting a 223 you stuff a 556 in there the difference isn't going to be enough where you're going to have a catastrophic failure that one round.
0: It's not like 300 blackout in a 5.56 chamber, you're saying?
1: No, no, it's nothing, nothing like that.
0: See, but that's the impression people used to give. At least in my, at least what I believed was, if you had chambered a 5.56, the the pressure difference was so great, you were going to destroy your rifle. And
1: yeah, I mean, same with a uh, 7.62. 551 and 308.
0: Yeah, and that one, I actually have noticed a little more difference between 76251 and 308, but that just came down to bolt rifles and the way that it actually expanded, and that's a little Mm -hmm. bit different, I think.
1: Yeah. So the actual difference when it comes to those, I mean, especially like the 223556 debate, you know, you can measure the cartridge dimensions and all that, and they're pretty much the same. The real difference is when it comes to the chamber of the rifle and the amount of space that it actually allows that casing to expand and stretch mm-hmm. so that that's really where the issue is so typically a lot of military guns are the 556 5. nato which gives it a little bit more room to expand a little bit a little bit more room for uh variation you know mm-hmm. that way the manufacturing process doesn't have to be dead nuts every time or the gun's going to jam you know so, what I mean?
0: So in theory, 223 is going to be a little bit looser in a 5.56. And you might see a little bit minuscule difference in accuracy, but yep. it's not going to be anything yep. major. And that's why 223 Wild. Which is why Wild, they came
1: up with that, two, yeah, the 223 <laughs> Wild chamber, because it's kind of that, that in-between point.
0: Yep, it's the best of both worlds.
1: Yep, exactly. Now, don't get me wrong, you know, 223 and 5.56 are pretty high pressure when you look at it. But the amount of material that's usually left over on the barrel in that section, it's a good amount you know Mm -hmm. you'd really have to load that sucker hot you know doing hand loads to get it to detonate
0: yeah so you know five five six two two three debunked boom it's not gonna
1: destroy it but still i i wouldn't recommend it just
0: don't don't be running it it will wear down over time faster just don't don't be doing it constantly Mm
1: -hmm. don't make a habit of it
0: exactly Now, Tyler, what's your what's your first FUD lore? What's the thing you always hear in from the gunsmithing side that always bothers you?
1: Oh, no, don't get me wrong. I'm a big revolver fan, but revolvers are not more reliable.
0: Ooh, what do you wait? (laughs) You're saying a revolver is not more reliable than a semi-automatic. How is that, though? Hold on, because I've always been under this impression. You have a trigger, you got six shots, you pull the trigger, and then it always rotates and it always goes bang.
1: Absolutely not. I mean, you have to think about the mm-hmm. the whole process in it. Everything's got to be timed right. I mean, when you hear of semi-autos, you don't necessarily think of timing. Okay. But I can't tell you how many revolvers I get in. Oh, it's out of time. You know, the timing's not quite right. After so many rounds, it starts jamming. Um, Actually, I have a Taurus revolver in the shop right now. <laughs>
0: So I'm surprised you have a Taurus revolver in the shop.
1: Yeah, it's funny. Everybody sends them to me instead of dealing with their warranty program. Hmm.
0: That that I don't understand.
1: Yeah, but regardless, that's in for timing issues right Mm -hmm. now. So with revolvers, okay, not only do you have this cylinder that's spinning freely out in the open that's subject to getting hung up on something, much like the slide of a semi-auto, but when the hammer comes back, you have gaps in there where debris can get down in. Um, Just the fact that the hammer is pulling back, you can get it caught on a sweatshirt, you know, any article of clothing, things of that nature. You might get food in there. You you might get, you know, (laughs) burger crumbs in there. It depends.
0: I'm not even kidding you, man. (laughs) I actually did see someone come over with a revolver one time that actually had food in the hammer.
1: I'm sure, man. I'm (sighs) sure. Um, People don't really realize that when that hammer cocks back, it usually creates like a little funnel right down into the mechanism.
0: Yep, And that opening stuff can get right in there.
1: Yep, With revolvers, it's very critical of the fitment of the part. So as things start to wear out, now your timing's getting off. You have, oh, what, five or six things that have to happen in a chain of events for that revolver to function correctly. Mm-hmm. So a lot more of an involved process. One of the main things with revolvers is the hand rotating the, uh, Usually the extractor is like a little ratchet spline there. Okay. And each one of those has to be machined exactly perfect for it to line up correctly. You know, you start getting more wear on one of them or one of those things where people spin the cylinder of the revolver and slap it in like they do in the movies and they dick those all up. Yeah, Ooh. those are good. Yup. So, you know, all of them might be perfect except for one. Now it's out of time.
0: See, that's, again, that's interesting because I've seen that. I've learned a lot about revolvers in the past few years. And one thing mm-hmm. is checking timing and actually how to check if the timing is on or not. Yep. And, yeah, and it's, you'll
1: notice it too uh, with the primers. Because sometimes if your timing's a little off, you'll notice that uh, the firing pin dimple isn't dead center in the primer. It might be off one side or the other, depending on. And see, you know, and depending Smith on. Smith Wesson, what way it uh, rotates.
0: And now, depending on how bad the timing is, that could actually be catastrophic to the user.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, with revolvers, when you where that transition is between the cylinder and the barrel, you have what's called the forcing cone. And it's basically a funnel that guides the bullet in. So on like Rugers, I think they're the tightest at like 11 degrees or something like that. Mm -hmm. So they have to be a lot more accurate with how that cylinder lines up where other ones, you know, they open that angle up a little bit. So the cylinder can be off and it'll still guide that bullet in. But Mm -hmm. once you start getting off, and I mean, when I was a kid, we had this little, h&r 22 revolver and man that thing would shed like half the bullet off because it was so out of time really yeah your hands would start feeling that splatter so i i decided it was time to retire that that just became a parts gun
0: yeah i don't i don't blame you at that point point. and so but, basically as if you have a better quality revolver it's gonna have better timing basically or
1: for the most part i mean one of my big experiences that kind of caught me off guard it was one of the only competitions that i shot it it, uh, if you even want to call it a competition, but they mm-hmm. had this range had a rental gun and it was a 686 revolver. And it was one of the things I was used to shooting Colts at that time. So you only had like three rounds. I loaded it in, you know, closed the cylinder, went to cock it and Smith and Wesson rotates the opposite of what a Colt revolver does. So I'm like, I start cocking the hammer back and I'm like, ah, shit, you know, I put them in on the wrong side. So I went to let the hammer down and I jammed that thing up. I mean, it, it locked up to the point you couldn't do anything, so the, the range officer called it and had to go take it to the gunsmith.
0: Hmm.
1: Yep. So that was my, uh, my big FUD lore uh, myth getting broken. It's like, <laughs> wow, these things really do jam.
0: So it's it's something that everyone always thinks that, you know, it's never going to have problems and it's going to work every single time. And no, it's it's like any other mechanical device it's the same oh, thing yeah. can be said about AKs everyone always said AKs never fail and
1: yeah. Hondas are great cars but they still die
0: Oh exactly you can you know run them to 300,000 miles but you still got to you still got to put oil in them
1: Yeah exactly things things are going to wear out it's it's mechanical it's metal on metal there's nothing you can do about it so it's... what else do you have,
0: Joey? <laughs> The next one is, it's kind of similar to what we were talking about with Arasaka. It's about another surplus rifle that I personally enjoy, and I've shot a decent amount of them. And mm-hmm. that's the Carcano. And the Carcano, Ooh, everyone always, one. yeah, see, everyone always says Carcanos because they're cheap junk, they're inaccurate rifles, and they're dangerous guns. And you really shouldn't mm-hmm. use them. And that's part of why everyone says, well, you know, <laughs> the old conspiracy theory with Lee Harvey Oswald and like how, oh, there's no way he could have shot him with a with a Carcano. That's such a bad rifle. It's so inaccurate. Well, first, yeah, well,
1: look at the round.
0: <laughs> it's well, well, six, five, six, five is inherently an accurate cartridge. Six, oh, five yeah. is, you know, I've shot a Carcano and every single Carcano I've ever shot is not an inaccurate rifle by any stretch of the imagination. Even with the, the modern loads, which the PPU is the only one who actually makes it, if I recall correctly, and their yep. rounds are actually undersized. So they're not to the true original spec. So they're actually supposed to be a little more inaccurate. Every single Carcano I've shot has always been dead nuts accurate. I'll say it. They were yep. super accurate. They they weren't going to kill you. And in fact, actually, I don't even know if I ever told you about this one. First Carcano I ever owned, I went and I took it out shooting. And the first shot I fired, I go to open the bolt. I can't get the bolt open. I mean, this thing Uh-oh. is rock hard. So I fucking... You get that two
1: by four bolt.
0: Yeah. So I bang it open. I, you know... Get it out. I go, okay, whatever. First time the rifle's been shot in God knows how long. I don't think... Again, I don't know what I Mm. know now. Close it. Fire another round. Same thing. We get through, I think, the third round, and it gets a little bit easier, but not a whole lot, and we're done with it. My buddy tries it. He loads it up, does the same thing, and we're talking to a guy at the range, and he goes, what's going on? You know, we're talking, and he looks. He goes, can I try it? So he does it. So we fired about 18 rounds to this rifle, you know, locked up the bolt, whole nine, but you look at the target. The target was... Every round hit its mark. Yeah. So we brought it back. We actually had it looked at by a gunsmith. And, you know, we had actually, I think, ended up firing a couple more rounds another day. And the guy goes, were were you guys shooting this rifle? We go, yeah, why? He goes, you should <laughs> never shoot this rifle again. I go, why? He's like, you're lucky this didn't blow up on you. And he's talking about how there was such a gap in the headspace. And we were just oh, like, wow. and you know, me and my buddy at the time look at each other like, oh, my God. He's like, well, how many rounds did you fire? We kind of pulled out the mm-hmm. box. And we realized we actually shot about 40 rounds.
1: Oh, geez.
0: Yeah. And, uh. No, so those rifles they did a lot, and even with that being bad headspace, mm-hmm. still i still still held itself true and no, oh, it's
1: funny. I remember an old video. I forget who put it out, but um, these guys it was like a gunsmith video, and they literally took a rifle and just kept reaming the headspace like you know five it was either five or ten thousand increments and in firing mm-hmm. it, you know over headspace, okay, and I forget how how deep they actually had to go before it like really started like pushing primers and like causing like i don't want to say catastrophic issues but regardless it's not blowing up but for the most part it would like pop the primers out and release more gas back into the action
0: exactly and because these rifles were military rifles they were designed to basically take any kind of condition And that's kind of Mm -hmm. part of how they are designed is to, I don't want to say overtake that pressure, but basically secure themselves from having a catastrophic failure. So this idea that in a military, with the exception of certain things like the Ross rifle, where the Ross rifle could be, you know, assembled incorrectly and then pose a danger, militaries typically aren't going to... Straight pull. Yeah, exactly. So militaries aren't going to be... Or countries aren't going to be equipping their, you know, soldiers with rifles that are going to be inherently dangerous if they're using a, the slightly wrong ammunition, especially when you have like machine gun ammunition potentially being swapped with rifle ammunition and different pressure differences. You're going to want to have yeah. something that's and going just to withstand it.
1: Manufacturers.
0: Exactly, you know? especially at war times.
1: manufacture that ammunition yet yeah, during war times, it's like well, mm-hmm. it's got to be able to shoot all of
0: it. Where it was stored, when it was stored, did they pull something out that was, you know, from storage from 30 years ago that was from the last war? There could be a number of different things. So they want these rifles to withstand, you know, over what they're spec to. And a lot of these military rifles, Arasakas, Carcanos, the main one, Carcanos that I can think of. Yeah, they're they're perfectly fine to shoot. Go out if you can go get some ammo, go shoot them. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, of course. You know, if it has a mismatch bolt or anything like that, if you're unsure, you should get it. get it checked out. Yeah, I would say get it checked. Qualified Hats-based. gunsmith.
0: Yeah, especially with the the recent surplus influx of them, I would probably mm-hmm. have them checked out just to make sure you're good. Just because, again, don't do what I did that was before i knew a lot you know knew what i knew now and we were actually <laughs> yeah, only shooting start at popping one off, sh- hope for the best. yeah we were only shooting one shot at a time because we were worried about the clip actually getting stuck in the magazine and gotcha yeah and to be honest with you like a couple times it ran all right because we, we got the bolt mm-hmm. mo- moving around a, a little bit smoother that's why we figured all right let's just run a single shot because single shot it seemed to do fine not fine but l- the bolt wasn't as sticky and a- as hard but again i was used to shooting Mosin, so sticky bolts <laughs> n- n- nothing to uh nothing yeah. new so yeah yep. but what's your what's your next one after uh after the deadly carcanos that i had
1: <laughs> so another unsafe firearm um glocks don't have safeties
0: Joey. Ooh, yeah glocks i've you always heard they're
1: that those stupid blocky looking guns they, they don't have safeties they're unsafe
0: they're dangerous they're super dangerous mm-hmm. because i would they're... never
1: carry one with a round in the chamber no
0: no why and uh <laughs> so glocks don't but uh, listen man i i work behind the counter. I've. And you work in, you know, your own gunsmith shop. Mm-hmm. Glock's have safeties.
1: Yeah, they have a few of them, actually. <laughs> um, they're just not, um, well, I call them idiot safeties. So <laughs> not the next- gun's smarter than the user, so they put them inside. <laughs>
0: <laughs> See, I hate external safeties, personally. I know we've talked about that. I, so. I know,
1: I know, me too. But it's just one of the things a lot of the older generation got used to you know, very tangible click button safeties and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. I mean, obviously, unless it was a revolver, but then again, most of them had like a half cock position or something, something very rigid, very sturdy that, you know, you, you feel, and there was no bumping it off Mm -hmm. where Glocks introduced hey, It doesn't have like a manual safety. What do I do with it? It's not like a 1911 where you have that big click with a thumb safety, but really they have the little, um, what do you call that? The trigger safety leg. Yeah. The leg on the trigger where that has to be fully depressed to allow the trigger to move rearward.
0: Mm-hmm. Now,
1: when you go inside the firearm, that trigger bar that goes back to the sear has a little leg on it that it will push a firing pin block out of the way. Yep. So not only do you have the trigger safety, but once that trigger is allowed to move, that bar has to push up on that button to allow that uh, the striker to be able to move forward. So even if you drop it, you know... Pointing straight up, pointing straight down, that firing pin's not going to go anywhere.
0: So what you're saying is Glocks have more than one safety. It's just not external. Exactly.
1: So So they're they're by no means an unsafe gun because of the lack of a, a manual safety
0: See, and that's something I hear all the time is especially with new shooters who have kids and they're like, I need to have I need something that has a safety and I understand that and I understand the aspect of everyone's life is a little bit different what you have for safe storage versus what you know, versus my situation versus your situation. But the fact of the matter is, the pistol itself is, it's not an unsafe pistol, and it does have several safeties in it. And yeah. that trigger safety... Okay, now
1: safety... let me, like, ask you this. Because mm-hmm. like, I, I have kids, uh, my kids are both around guns all the time, obviously, with my shop. Yep. If you have an external safety, it's just one more thing for the kid to play with. Do you really think that's a deterrent? No. If they're squeezing the trigger, you don't think they're going to play with the switch on the side?
0: Yeah, I, I think so that's... It's,
1: it's just asinine for me to think that a manual safety... Is going to outsmart a toddler
0: yeah and i don't think that's yeah i think it might help but simultaneously like you said especially Again, kids are very uh, investigative, if you will. They, yeah. they always want to get yeah. into everything. And especially, I'm not, you know, like your children. Like I've seen your kid always is like, what's this? What's this? And that's, that's very good. They're very, mm-hmm. they want to learn everything. So, you know, maybe having something like that's not always the best thing to play with. Look at kids in car windows. They're always pushing stuff up and down, up and down, you know? Same thing with a safety. Oh,
1: exactly. I mean, my daughters, uh, both of them, obviously, are still in car seats. Mm-hmm. You know, it's to the point where if I get out of my Jeep now... My uh, oldest will pop the door open for me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, because once the car stops, I get out, it unlocks the, everything. So then she knows she can pull the handle, pop the door open. And it's like, okay, well, if I'm not getting you out of the car, don't do that. Yeah. So it, but yeah, it's one of the things like manual safeties do add another layer of protection. I'll, but it's not. I'll always problem. agree to that. But it's one of those things. It's not a fail safe, especially with kids.
0: Mm-hmm. See, I'm happy to hear that, and because I think there's a lot of people who are deterred by certain firearms they like because mm-hmm. of that reason, and that's not a reason, in my opinion, to deter yourself. Because there's other things you should be doing, especially if you have children, to prevent them from getting a firearm outside of that external safety. Because the way, when they say it needs to have an external safety, that, to me, is saying that they're going to leave their firearm like out in the open and reach of their children. And I don't yeah, think that's appropriate. Yeah, it could be taken like that. Exactly. That's almost how I think I say it, because they're like, oh, well, they're going to get to it. No, they shouldn't be getting to it. You, as a responsible gun owner, should be doing something, and mm-hmm. yeah. that that goes across the board for safety. Like when I was a kid, my dad didn't leave a firearm, re- you know, loaded and ready for me to get my hands on and accessible. Yep. You know what I mean? It's, hey, at the end of the day, it comes down to safety aspect too.
1: Yep. So Glocks, anything else like that that doesn't have a, a manual thumb safety. Uh, granted, not all guns are like that. But a lot of the more modern stuff, they do have multiple safeties built into them, you yep. know, and it'll, it'll it will explain all that in the manual. Yep. So you believe that people don't read the manuals?
0: <laughs> exactly. I know it's it's ignorance. <laughs> it Most just of read- them
1: can't even find them. They stuff them under like the uh, the egg crate or egg mat in the, uh, the yeah, boxes the, anymore.
0: The little foam padding and stuff like that that you have to dig into to get to. Yep.
1: Yeah, oh, I didn't know it came with a manual. Really? Did yeah. you bother looking? <laughs> no, nope, clearly not. It's a one-foot square box. Tell me they couldn't hide it any better.
0: Exactly, <laughs> people.
1: Yep. Uh, <sighs> on to your last one. What do you got?
0: On to the last one. Okay, so this is one I've, I've heard in the shop, and this more comes from a history aspect, the, the reenacting side, because it's something I always hear in that, and I hear people talk about in the shop with one of our favorite mm-hmm. rifles, the M1 Garand.
1: And Ooh, I know where you're going with
0: this. You one. know exactly where I'm going, the infamous M1 Ping. And mm-hmm. and so there's this this mythical lore that during World War II there would always be Germans knew that the M you know the United States soldier carried the M1 Garand with eight shots, so that the second they would hear that ping, the German would emerge from his cover and then pop out and shoot the American soldier and winning the fight because reasons. And so, yeah. what happened was the American soldier would then always carry a spare clip with him to throw when he had two shots left. So, the German would be counting and he would, you know, pop up and then he'd still have two rounds and get the German. And yeah. I think that's pretty much nonsense. And, yeah. and- I was
1: going to say, I don't even think there's any documented accounts of that being a thing
0: no and if anything that's more likely in korea with the ice where you'd hear it more often and yeah you could hear the ping it's it is distinguishable sometimes in combat hearing it but Mm. you're not going to exactly know which guy it came from unless you're in a straight one-on-one fight and even at that point someone already might have another clip already in hand loaded you there there could be so many other things that i think it's just foolish to think Yeah. And you know? uh, well, well, but yeah, too, th- there could be a number of things. There's usually another guy for, for, you know, it's the American army we're talking about. It's not, you know, the mm-hmm. last ditch of the German army and like the <laughs> the Volkssturm or anything like yeah. that. So I I, th- I just I hate that FUD lore. I really do. It's something that's that's gone around. I've always heard for years. And having done reenacting, you know, I, I know it's a little bit different. But you always hear like reenactors when they do the spectators and all that. They always have to talk about it. And the M1 ping, the M1 ping. And yes, the M1 ping is very distinguishable. It is. It's cool.
1: People that don't know about it, they're like, wow, that
0: sound. Yeah. And it's it's cool. One other gun makes that sound. Exactly. So I get it. It's cool for showmanship. But realistically, it's not something every German soldier was counting and noticing. And there's so many Mm -hmm. other factors in combat. There's so much other noise that's going around that it's so hard for, especially in a battle where there's, you know, thirty, forty, how many different guys going on shooting and artillery going off and grenades and everything to be focusing yeah. on that. Like if you're, if you ever watch any war movie, um, the first one that comes to mind is Band of Brothers when they're attacking the 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 guns in Normandy. Okay. Uh, I'm blanking on the the <laughs> the part the the actual event, but when they're charging that and you do hear the pings going off, but you really can't mm-hmm. pick down which guy it is unless you actually see him throwing in a fresh clip. Yes, Ooh, fresh you know clip. What? Here's a good one. Mm-hmm.
1: Next time you're you're at your public range with a good amount of people. I mean, like, it's packed. If someone has a Garand there while everybody's shooting, try to see if you can focus on, you know, shooting what you're shooting at and mm-hmm. keep track of his rounds and that ping.
0: Yeah, that's a good idea. I like that.
1: You know, that, that gives you some sort of, like, like real-world... Granted, you're not under pressure. It's nowhere near as loud as combat, you know. For the most part, they're all semi auto firearms or, you know, bolt action, something like that. But still, with you focusing on what you're shooting at, everybody else around you shooting, if one person has a grant, try to listen to it.
0: Yep. See if you can pick that ping up. Yeah, and if you know, hey, if you differ, share in our comment section. Mm And we want to hear your thoughts. Yeah, lastly, what's what's your last piece of FUD lore, Tyler, that that you always hear?
1: So, especially with me being a gunsmith, I can't get out and test fire everything. Mm -hmm. But I can't tell you how many people I have tell me that dry-firing your gun is bad for it.
0: Ooh, I, I thought that was going to damage it every single time. You should never do it.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, don't get me wrong, there's a lot of older firearms. You have to bear in mind, metallurgy wasn't as well-known as it is today. Mm-hmm. Just the quality of steel, you know, a lot of these manufacturers back then, what was the going rate of a single-barrel shotgun? Break action back in like the 20s, 30s. A couple bucks. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I would venture to say it was under $20 and that's just ballparking it. Exactly. So the quality of steel that they were using, even if they knew what was in it, was probably not that great. All it had to do was set off a primer, which aren't very hard to begin with. No, so, ammunition yes. was
0: different then, too, so.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, hell, a lot of them had paper shells. Yep, yeah, that's things <laughs> so a lot of people it's forget. One of those things, yeah, it's one of those things. Yes, older shotguns I'd be hesitant to do, but a lot of modern firearms, I would say anything from, what, maybe even like 50s, 60s, even before that, you know, metallurgy was really starting to get up to par. Mm-hmm. and you really don't have to worry about dry-firing unless it's some sort of poor design.
0: I think with one exception, it will be with Rimfire 22s.
1: Rimfire 22s are absolutely a different story yep. based on the setup, because that firing pin's hitting the rim, so if you don't have a like a dummy round in there or an old spent shell casing, Schnapp that firing it. pin's smacking your chamber, So inevitably, you're not going to be able to stuff around in there because it's going to be all mashed over and have burrs sticking out. Mm -hmm. So there's been a couple 22s that I've had in where people are like, hey, it won't chamber, it won't fire, it won't extract. And you pop it open, there's a big dent in the chamber from dry firing. So I have to go in there with a chamber reamer. Just pretty much knock that that, uh, little bulge down without Mm -hmm. deepening the chamber or, you know, really opening it up. You know, it shoots fine after that. So, with the exception of like 22s and old shotguns, man, everything really can be dry fired.
0: Yeah, so it's that's something that's always bothered me in the store. It's like obviously, you know, the one thing we always tell people with revolvers in the store is please don't be pulling the trigger because it's about the the cylinder drag, which I think is mm-hmm. a little bit different than the firing pin, and just don't keep running. Yeah, it you don't want like it, noticeable
1: but... lines on it where people are going to accuse you like, hey, this isn't a this a isn't a brand new gun.
0: Exactly. So. You know, but most guns are inherently safe to dry fire, especially modern firearms, yeah. because think of the design. How many times people are going to be pulling the trigger? You know, let's be yeah, honest. It's just you naturally really have to people think are. about
1: it. A lot of guns nowadays, it's not designed so that the primer stops the firing And there's some sort of additional shoulder that's made to smack something else, mm-hmm. you know, thousands upon thousands of times without breaking.
0: Yep, exactly. So there's a lot of other safety features and in- designed in modern firearms that are going to say hey you can do this but it doesn't hurt to get snap caps i'd recommend it but oh yeah
1: absolutely and every time i can if i have a new caliber that i have to cycle function test stuff like that Mm. i usually throw a snap cap in there just because it has a little rubber padding for it just so it's less wear and tear it's more professional from my standpoint but you know stuff like that where i'm just checking okay timing of a revolver I'm not going to keep throwing live rounds into it and going out to the range just so I can see if it skips or, you know, binds up.
0: No, there's no need to. You
1: know, yep, exactly. Now, other firearms that have, like, an attached firing pin to the hammer, you know, the old Colt revolvers and stuff like that, again, be a little little more hesitant because more stuff can go wrong.
0: Mm-hmm, but... They're safe to do. So on that note, man, I think that's I think yep. that's a bunch of FUD lore. And I think this is gonna be something that we're gonna come back to. I think we're gonna do kind of a living series with this. We're gonna talk about different FUD lore we've heard over the years and modern FUD lore as stuff kind of develops again. Mm. Kind of want to stay a little less political and talk more about actually what's kind of happening and what's not. And just different fun yeah. gun there's, rumors. There's <laughs> enough
1: political shows out there. Exactly.
0: <laughs> yeah, so it's that's not yeah, again. Let's talk to the weird FUD gun FUD lore and debunking modern FUD lore and modern rumors and stuff like that <laughs> like uh mm-hmm. ooh, I mean we should do a couple episodes on modern FUD lore like one was P320s are inherently unsafe that was something I was thinking about actually as, as really? we're kind of talking yeah everyone says that because they weren't drop safe initially and now there's a bunch of other things and uh okay, yeah
1: how many other uh manufacturers have recalls and stuff like exactly, that
0: exactly man and I you know to be to be honest with you I have that 320 and 45 and that's not drop safe mm-hmm. and I actually have tested it you know dropping it it with snap caps and stuff like that and seeing if you know yeah. the striker goes off and it has but it's mm-hmm. honestly i dropped it i think three or four times on like you know safe safe direction and everything unloaded and yeah. i think out of the three times it only went off once what or it said, went off with the snap caps to... yeah so it was yeah it wasn't sa- drop safe but it's also not an unsafe pistol because of that it still did its mark and it had other things that protected it and of the drops not every time it went off No, yep. <sighs> but if we'll that, talk about yeah, that stuff like
1: that okay <laughs> a um you know, a bedside gun, something like that, where it's, like, you know, much traveling where it has the potential to get dropped or anything like that.
0: Yeah, you or know?
1: so. Oh, or strictly a range toy.
0: Yep, exactly. So you can still use them. It doesn't mean they're going to, you know, blow up in your face or anything or shoot yourself. Yeah,
1: yeah, maybe we'll do another episode on, like, modern, like, more recent fun lore that we can find.
0: See, that's what I mean, man. This is, I think this is going to be a fun-living topic that we're going to come back to. So... Oh, yeah, Absolutely. So on that note tyler where can where can they find you at?
1: So you guys can find me at my website www.precisionrifleworks.com, dot com and I'm on Facebook and Instagram under precision Rifle Works, LLC
0: nice nice can, how
1: about you joey where are they gonna find
0: you ha, they can find me over on instagram at sitepicture 762 on youtube as well at sitepicture 762 where i post my hunt showdown videos which i actually just kind of was planning to put a bunch of more stuff up there over the weekend and mm-hmm. i went and i checked my clips that i recorded and my things wasn't recording right so oh that's i was i was pretty livid i i was because i had a lot mm-hmm. of cool content so anyways um, well now guys, you can also follow the channel. You can find us over at www.acrosstheguncounter.com and follow us over on Instagram at across the gun counter. And very shortly, we have a couple other places you're going to be able to follow us at too. So please guys, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like, share, subscribe, please give us a couple reviews on the show. If you like it, you know, it would really help yeah, us get the word up. out. Yeah. Throw a rating up there. Give us five stars. If you like us, at least even if, 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 if you do can tolerate us. That'd be awesome. So <laughs> <laughs> you know
1: what? I'll take it these days. If somebody can tolerate me, I'm happy.
0: Yeah, exactly. You don't have to love me. Just don't friggin' hate me so (laughs) (laughs) all right guys hey take care stay safe out there
1: yep keep away from the fud lore
0: yeah don't don't be creating more all
1: right see you guys